This is Dr. Karen Wilson-Starks, and welcome to my podcast series, The Voice of Leadership. Today, we are continuing in this year's theme of abundance, and we're going to spend some time talking about time with the master. And you might be wondering, if this is a business show, a leadership show, why are we taking this time to talk about abundance in the way that we're talking about it? And this is what I would say, and it's so important, before we can rush in and start doing something, we really have to first spend some time sitting in the presence of God. And while we're sitting in the presence of God, God actually will speak to us and give us something to think about that's really important. So yes, we do have to spend some time in God's presence before we do anything else. And if we think about Jesus as an example you will find that in his earthly ministry, he spent so much time going away alone to the mountains, to the gardens, and having conversations with God the Father. He spent a lot of time in prayer before he went out and did anything. And if the Son of God has to do that, clearly we do as well. When I think about the life that we're living as Christian ministry marketplace leaders. It's a life of apprenticeship, a life of discipleship. And when you are an apprentice, you sit with the master, you watch the master at work, and you learn by watching how to also become a master. And so that's a lot about what we're talking about. When Jesus issued out the Great Commission, in Matthew, the 28th chapter, verses 18 through 20. And he was telling the disciples to go out and to make disciples of all nations. One of the things he said is that he was they were to make disciples of all of these people. And you say, well, what's a disciple? A disciple is a follower. A disciple is a student. And so we want to spend time at the master's side being discipled. We want to spend time being followers of the one who we are imitating, if you will. We want to be, in essence, his apprentices. And certainly when Jesus was in his earthly ministry, he had his close in, 12, who he mentored and coached and developed up close and personal. They got to see how he lived. They lived with him. They lived a life together. So a lot is caught by that living together, not just by whatever you might read, if you will, in in, in a book somewhere. So they did life together. And in Philippians 3, 12 through 14, Paul is talking about pressing towards the goal of that upward calling of God in Christ Jesus. And where that upward calling and goal, it transforms our lowly body and really puts us on that spiritual and heavenly path. So I want us to just look at some examples of what it means to really pursue 
if you will, that presence. Really pursue that time and being with God. So we're there at the moments when God wants to move and work through us. And I'm reminded of Elisha, the prophet, prophet, and what Elisha, the prophet, did in his relationship with Elijah, the prophet. And I know we've talked about some aspects of this before, which is that when Elisha had the opportunity to be the apprentice, the assistant to Elijah, he was out plowing the fields when he was called. And then he left everything. In fact, he took all the plowing equipment, everything, chopped it all up, and he had a little going away party. There would be nothing for him to go back to because this was an all-in, sold-out experience. He was going to, as others would say, pour water on the hands of Elijah. He was going to serve him, and in that service role, he would be learning. So in 2 Kings, the second chapter, we see a whole lot of scenarios, and it's getting near the time when Elijah's life on earth will be completed, and Elijah's going to be taken up in a whirlwind of sorts in chariots of fire. And so Elisha has been in the habit of going wherever Elijah is. So on this particular day, and before God takes Elijah up, Elijah says to Elisha, he says to him, stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me to Bethel. And Elisha tells him, sure, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So even though Elijah gives him this opportunity to leave, and Elijah said he's going down to Bethel, Bethel, Elisha says, if you're going to Bethel, I'm going to Bethel. So Elijah goes down to Bethel and Elisha goes down there with him. And then while they were down there, some prophets were in the area and they said, well, you know, your master, meaning Elijah, is going to be taken up today and he's going to go away. And Elisha says, well, keep silent about that. Yes, I'm aware of it. I know about it. But he didn't want to speak about it at the time. And so again, Elijah says to him, stay here, Elisha, and I'm going down to Jericho. And Elisha says, you know, again to him, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So he also went down to Jericho. Now, mind you, we can always find reasons to be doing something else besides being in the presence of God. And Elijah was representing the presence of God on the earth in his day. And Elisha had prioritized being in the presence of God. He didn't want to miss anything. So if Elijah was going to Bethel, he was going to Bethel. If Elijah was going to Jericho, he was going down to Jericho. And so again, the prophets say, do you know that your master is going to be taken away today? And he says, yes, I know that he's going to be taken away. And he still says to them, don't speak of it. So Elijah says to him, stay here, please, for the Lord is sending me on to the Jordan. And again, Elisha says, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So again, the two of them went on down to the Jordan. And there were a number of men of the sons of the prophets who also were down at the Jordan standing at a distance. And it says that Elijah took his mantle and he struck the water and it divided the water and they crossed over the Jordan on dry ground. 
as they were doing this in the ninth verse of second Kings, the second chapter, as they crossed over, Elijah said to Elisha, ask, what may I do for you before I am taken away from you? Elisha said, please let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. Now, Elisha was thinking with an abundance mindset. Elijah was the most powerful man on the earth at the time. He had a huge portion of God's spirit. And Elisha says, I'd like a double portion of that, please. And so when he asked for this, Elijah said to him, you have asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me, when I am taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if not, it shall not be so. Now, keep in mind, Elisha has been following behind Elijah all this time. So anything there is to see, he's there to see it. So Elijah says, if you see me taken away, you will get the double portion. If you don't see me taken away, then it's not going to happen. So verse 11 says, then it happened as they continued on and talked that suddenly a chariot of fire appeared with horses of fire and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven and Elisha saw it and cried out, my father, my father, the chariot of Israel and its horsemen. So he saw him no more and he took hold of his own clothes and tore them into two pieces. He also took up the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood by the bank of the Jordan. Now, if you remember, Elijah had taken that mantle, touched the Jordan on the far side so that they could cross over on dry land. So now we see Elisha, then he took the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and struck the water and said, where is the Lord God of Elijah? And when he also had struck the water, it was divided this way and that, and Elisha crossed over. And if you were to study further the life of Elijah, you would find out he did in fact receive a double portion of Elijah's spirit and the prophets of God, the men of God who were present, they acknowledged that the mantle of Elijah had fallen onto Elisha. But I want you to pay attention that this didn't happen because Elisha was busy somewhere else. He was wherever the man of God was. Likewise, we have to be where God is at all times. We have to be in the center of his will there to hear the word that he has for us for today and at any occasion. And I'll just remind you that Mary and Martha, two sisters, they were the sisters of the brother Lazarus, whom Jesus raised from the dead. Mary and Martha were friends of Jesus, and frequently he was in their home to fellowship with them, to have dinner with them. And on many of these occasions, Martha would be very busy about doing the work of preparing the food, the work of serving the guests who came to the dinner, including Jesus. And what was Mary doing? Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus, hanging on to every word that he said. And we know the story is recorded 
in one place, Luke the 10th chapter, 38 through 41, where Martha says to Jesus, you know, my sister's leaving me here to do all the work. Lord, you speak to her. Tell her to come and help me. And Jesus told Martha, Mary has chosen that which is the good thing, which is sitting right there with God in essence. And he said to Martha, and that one thing that Mary has chosen is not going to be taken away from her. In other words, it was important for Mary to sit at the feet of Jesus and hear what he had to say. In fact, he told Martha, you are worried about many things. And maybe she didn't need to worry as much about that stuff as she was worried about it. Yes, we are, according to Ephesians 2.10, we are God's workmanship and we are created in Christ Jesus for good works, good works that God has prepared in advance that we should do. And yet, prior to any work commencing, like Mary, we need to sit at the feet of the master. Like the apostles, we need to sit at the feet of the master. Like Elisha, we need to be in the presence of the one who's representing God and the spirit of God. Now, sometimes we can get this confused and we get things out of order. And such an incident did occur in the life of Moses. And we know that Moses was a great man, the most humble man on the earth at the time. Moses was also an important servant of God who did mighty works through the power of God. Even his life is a miracle. And that at the time he was born, the baby boys were being killed by the Pharaoh and his parents put him in that ark and sent him down the river Nile, praying that God would protect him. And of course, he was taken up out of the water by Pharaoh's daughter, raised by Pharaoh's daughter as an Egyptian, as an heir apparent to the dynasty of the Pharaohs. He always knew, however, that he was a Hebrew. His wet nurse was his own biological mother. She's the one who nursed him and took care of him in those formative years. From an early age, he knew who he was. From an early age, he knew that there was some kind of a calling on his life. What he didn't understand yet is how God would work through him. He didn't understand yet the way of God. So it just so happened that the day when he saw the Egyptian arguing with and fighting with and abusing a fellow Hebrew slave at the time, Moses took it upon himself to go and kill the Egyptian. Now, Moses was God's called and designated leader. The time, however, had not yet come for Moses to lead God's people out of Egypt. And Moses had not yet sat long enough at the master's feet to know how God would work and God's methods of working. Certainly, it was not God's plan that he would kill the Egyptian. So, as a result of that incident in Moses' life, we find that Moses spends 40 years on the backside of the desert in the land of Midian, where he could learn more perfectly what it was like to shepherd, because what God needed in Moses 
was a man with a shepherd's heart who would shepherd the people of God. Only after this time of being in the presence of God and being prepared for this ministry, could he then later, after the burning bush experience, return back to Egypt and lead God's people out of Egyptian bondage. So I say to you as a ministry marketplace leader, yes, God has much for you to do. And in your workplace, he wants it done in his way, and he wants it done in his time. And the only way that you're going to get that is if you spend time in his presence and with him to get his specific guidance, his specific instructions. So I want to close today's segment with a verse that's very important for us to remember. We know that Jesus is the vine and that we are the branches. And if you think about this in nature, once you cut a branch off from the vine, it no longer has a source of sustenance. It no longer has the source of food or its livelihood for life to continue. The branch by itself dies and cannot continue on its own when it's no longer connected to the food source, the power source for its sustenance. So likewise, we are the same. So John 15 and verse 5 says, and this is Jesus speaking, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. And that's what we want to remember. We must abide in him. Apart from him, we, in and of ourselves, can do nothing. And yet when we're connected to the vine, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. You've been listening to The Voice of Leadership with me, Dr. Karen Wilson-Starks. And I want to give a special thanks to jazz saxophonist Ron McMillan for granting us permission to use his gifted music on our show. Thanks for listening. And remember to go to my website, transleadership.com, for more strategies, insights, and leadership resources.